that takes place. And it acts at times, I think, like the straw on the emotional camel's back. That that one event, as insignificant as it might be to other people around you, it becomes that proverbial straw. And, and for whatever reason, you've let a hundred other things go. Maybe hundreds of other things go, but it becomes that one event that for whatever reason becomes what I call that sneaky feeling. That you thought you forgave it, you thought you let it go, you thought you released it, you've gone through ministry, they've laid hands on you, they've prophesied over you, they've spit on you, they've done everything that can be done to you, but you can't get through it. And you think you may have gotten through it and it was maybe a day that, that you received ministry or pastor preached a message on it and you're going, I'm through it, praise God, I'm through it. And then a week or two later, that sneaky feeling keeps coming back. And I had to admit to you, I had one sneaky feeling. I mean, they're, they're, I, I'm not trying to be just overly dramatic, but I, I, would, I would just guess in 30 years of hanging around church. How many of you know hanging around church, you can get offended? <laughs> I mean, if you've been in church longer than 30 minutes, you're, you can be offended. I mean, let's not even talk 30 days. I mean, what? I mean, you just come to the house of God and it just seems like things can happen to offend you. Now, I'll just share this with you. I, there's thousands of things that have offended me. I'm sure I've been the offender at times. But there's probably been a thousand things through... 30 years of preaching the gospel, if I were to sit down and, and write them all out, I, that have offended me. And 999 of them, I've gotten through pretty good. But it's just that one sneaky feeling that I just can't seem to shake. And so we've just been talking about it because I've done decided that I'm going to get victory over that thing. I don't believe there's anything that I have to live defeated by. I just don't believe that. I don't believe there's any sin that has to so easily beset me. I believe everything that I face in life can be conquered through the cross and through Jesus Christ. I just believe that. And if, and if it isn't happening, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang around that until I get through it. And so I just decided... I was going to preach forgiveness till I got it. That's what you do. You just keep talking it, preaching it, declaring it, confessing it, praying it until you get it. And so that's why I've just decided I'm just going to linger here a while. And so, you know, several weeks ago we started this and I talked about the motivation. I talked about why, why should I have to forgive? I mean, I'm the one that was done wrong. I mean, I, 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 this was an injustice to me. It was unfair to me. Why, why should I have to forgive? And I can't go through all of that. But you can go to iTunes and you can listen to that whole thing as to why God says you have to forgive. Then the last week we talked about how do I know? How do I know that I've really forgiven? Because truth of the matter is I've done it a hundred times but it keeps coming back. So how do I know that I've really forgiven in this particular situation? And we use the life of Joseph. And I talked to you last week about how there were some ways you could begin to see whether or not you've really forgiven somebody. But can I tell you this week, I am, I am so excited and encouraged about what I'm fixing to share with you this week. And I, I want you just to get your anticipation up. Because I believe for some of you this morning, if you'll have ears to hear and listen to me, 
Don't just wait for the funny story. I mean, listen to me. There is literally a key that I believe God can drop into your heart this morning that can unlock all the backed up blessing that should have come your way. If you'll listen to me this morning and you'll really, for the first time in your life, not dodge it, but listen and embrace and open up your life to say, Lord, I really want, I, 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 I want to have the character of Christ, but I, I would also like to see your goodness in my life. Some of you, some of you have wondered why you haven't seen the blessing like you know is available to you. Some of you have wondered why is it, Lord, that it seems like the heavens are brass and, and the doors are shut and everything's closed. You've wondered. And you know what? If we went through your life, you've been doing everything right. But I'm going to share something with you this morning that's not right inside of you. And if you'll get this, I honestly believe there's going to be a floodgate that will open. And you'll begin to experience the goodness and the greatness of God like you've never seen before. Is that worth giving me just a few minutes? I've entitled the lesson this morning, How Not to Lose Your Inheritance. And we're going to talk about bitterness. But we're, we're going to put it within the context of how not to lose your inheritance. Now let me read to you some verses in Hebrews 12. And uh, we're going to give you some background to it, so just hold on. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, listen to this. The writer says, pursue peace with all people. You know what all means now, right? Oh, doesn't that just nail you first thing? That just gets you right out of the starting block. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, there you go, without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. How many of you know I need the grace of God moving in my life? Do you need the grace of God? Grace isn't just God excusing you from what you do. Grace is empowering you to prevail. Grace is God's power coming to you that causes you to conquer and to triumph. And to overcome. That when grace shows up, grace causes you not to be excused. It causes you to be a victor. He says, but look carefully because you don't want to fall short of that in your life. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. He goes on in verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, now get a hold of this, he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. How not to lose your inheritance, and you may want to go ahead and Turn back to the book of Genesis, right around chapter 25, and, and, and I'm going to talk about the story of Esau here in just a moment, and you may want to underline a couple passages here and there as we talk about that in just a moment, how not to lose your inheritance. Now, let's talk about inheritance for a minute. What is an inheritance? <clears throat> Conventionally, this is what I think of when I think of an inheritance. It usually means, at least to me, money or stuff. I'm getting money or stuff, let's just say from my parents, that is very valuable. That's what I consider, when I think of inheritance, that's what I think of. 
Now, sometimes the stuff that I get monetarily has great value, and sometimes my inheritance has sentimental value. But I always think of stuff or money being transferred to me from parents. And an inheritance is yours by birth or by a will. In other words, because you were born into a family, there is a certain uh, a progression that, that wealth moves down through the family tree. Wealth can also come to you through a will. Somebody creates a will and, and, and declares you to be a benefactor with regards to their inheritance. So whenever I, I begin to hear the word inheritance in the Bible, I know it's just probably carnal, just, just bear with me for a moment, but I just think of a windfall. I hear the word inheritance and I think of a rich aunt or, or, or a rich grandparent or somebody rich in the family tree that just dies off and just releases a whole bunch of money my direction. Now, I don't know why I think that because there's really nobody on either side of our family that's all that wealthy. I mean, they're comfortable. But we, we live a pretty, you know, medium, average, middle income kind of existence through the family tree. Uh, but somehow or another, the word inheritance just makes me think of all this stuff that's coming my direction. And the key is that you're going to get something. You're going to get a portion of something from a person. And that person took a lifetime to accrue this stuff. They took a lifetime to secure this stuff. And yet they come to the end of their life and of course they die. And, and, and now uh, through a will they transfer all that it took a lifetime for them to accrue. They transfer all of this to you. So an inheritance, at least to me, has the connotation of something good. I mean, I never think of them inheriting, you know, something bad. I mean, I'm going to inherit something good. And, and despite the fact that someone had to die, and we don't want people to die, you know, we love everybody, but despite the fact they died, I get good stuff. Amen. Well, I take that back. Some people we don't mind sending them on. But we still say amen to the good stuff. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever met a person who lost their inheritance? Now, sometimes people lose their inheritance by irritating the benefactor. You know, they, they were doing inheritance, but because of some reason, they irritated the benefactor, so they were written out of the will. So they didn't get it because they were written out of the will. Other people lose their inheritance because once they get it, they spend it foolishly or they spend it quickly. Everyone remembers the prodigal son. He wanted, he wanted his his stuff, he wanted his inheritance early and he went out to the far country and the Bible says that he spent it foolishly and he spent it quickly. I've received just a, a couple small inheritances through the years. My, my, my grandfather, when he passed away, slowly dispensed money to the grandchildren and, and it wasn't a lot of money, I mean, but for a grandchild you get a thousand dollars or so, I mean, that's pretty big money when you're just, you know, in your teenage years and and I had an aunt who had no children, and so to all the nieces and nephews, when she passed away through her life insurance and other things, she released some money. And again, it, 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 was, it was kind of a nice little tidy sum. It wasn't life-altering. I mean, it was, it, was, it was nice to have, but it was just enough money to what do you do with it? You go out and you, you blow it. It was just enough to do that with. And, and, and so, you know, I've received a little bit in my time, and of course, you know, you tithe and you do what you're supposed to do with regards to the kingdom. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that I was foolish, but it was gone nonetheless. All of us have seen examples of fortunes that were squandered 
of people that received a lot of, a lot of goods and things. And, and for whatever reason, it was wasted. And that's not a good thing. The Bible tells us, interestingly, that you and I have an inheritance. We have an inheritance in the Lord. Now, just to do a little teaching here, we, we receive our inheritance two ways. The Bible says that we were born again into it. So in other words, when you and I received Jesus Christ, we were born into the family of God. And now that I'm born into the family of God, I am a benefactor of all the benefits of being in that family. In fact, God has written me now into his will and testament. And so everything that this Bible promises is for everyone in the family of God. Can we say amen? Whatever it says in this book is mine is mine. Whatever it says I can have, I can have. Whatever it says I can do, I can do. Whatever this book says is mine because I am a child of God. I am in that family tree because I was born into it. I was born again into it. Now, not only is it secured by being born into it, but Christ died. And because of his death, the promises of that inheritance are now transferred fully down to his children. And so we have someone who's died, according to the Hebrew writer, it says that secures the inheritance. We've been written into the will, so now we have access to all of the benefits that that inheritance entails. Now... You see images of this all through the Old Testament. The images that we begin to see, for instance, are like the Jews as they were delivered from Egypt. And of course, they go through the years in the desert, in the wilderness, until finally they go into the promised land. And when they go into the promised land, they went in, according to the scripture, to receive their inheritance. Now, I want you to get a couple important things here real fast. Number one is, God didn't save you just to get you out of sin. God saved you to get to something better. God didn't save you just so you could pick up the pieces. He saved you to get you into a new day, a new season, a new way of living, a new life, a new way of looking at things. you got to understand, he brought you out of Egypt, praise God, but he wants to get you into an inheritance. Are you with me? The, the, the second thing I, I want you to know is, is that I heard this for years and it was just terrible teaching. But I heard preachers teach this as the promised land was somehow heaven. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I got to go to heaven and fight giants, we're in trouble. I, I mean, I don't want to fight giants in heaven. Nor do I believe the Bible teaches that. That is a very real picture of what God wants to do in our life here and now. I am glad that when I die, I get to go to heaven because I know the Lord and I believe that and I'll teach that and preach that. And so that, that's, not, that's without question. But the issue is, is that God wants us to live in a sense of abundancy here. That doesn't just mean, listen to me, it doesn't just mean money and stuff, but it means a quality of life. It means a life that's contented and a life that's fulfilled and a life that has peace and a life that has joy and a life that's positive and an outlook that's great. God wants that for your life too. That's a part of the inheritance. And you need to understand that God's bringing you out of your Egypts and he's bringing you into your inheritances. And that imagery we see in the Old Testament even. But then you get to the New Testament and we find out that all the inheritance promises were secured in Jesus Christ, which is why he said that all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So listen to me, your inheritance 
is yes and amen. And the covenantal promises of inheritance include things like healing. It includes things like deliverance and prospering and provision and peace and joy. The totality of all the Bible promises is encompassed in the inheritance and when he died, he secured that inheritance in order that you might be the recipient of all that he provided. Now, that's, that's what we call good news. Now, do you understand why we preach good news? The problem is we just don't live good news. In fact, I could go through the Bible and I could teach you Ephesians 1.11. It talks about being inheritors of God's promise, Colossians 1.12. I'm not going to read them to you. Hebrews 11.8. All of them, all of them are just beginning passages underscoring how we are receivers of an inheritance. Now listen to me. Our problem is, as the people of God, we have lost our inheritance and we do not understand why we lost it and we don't understand how not to lose it. I put that on the screen because I want you to write that down. Do you understand? You don't have to do anything for your inheritance. When you are born into that family, that inheritance is yours. Well, if it isn't happening, it's because I lost it somehow. It's not because that God's withholding it in the sense that he doesn't want us to have it. So I've got to work to get it. But something, somehow, some way, is obstructing the flow or the release of that inheritance in our life. That keeps us from living what it says and what we're promised that we can live. Now, the Hebrew writer uses Isaac and Esau to begin to illustrate some things that are very important to us. And that's in Genesis 25, chapter 25 through chapter 27. Let me tell you a little bit about this story. We, we oftentimes tell this story on encounter weekends about Esau and Jacob. Because uh, they illustrate certain things that we want to talk about with regards to repentance. But instead of focusing in on Jacob this time, I want to focus in on Esau. Let's look at Esau. Esau, the scripture tells us, was the firstborn of twins. He and Joseph, Jacob, excuse me, he and Jacob were twins. And and so they, they come out, Esau comes out first. And, and we know that there's problems even in the womb. Esau comes out, and the Bible says that Jacob is reaching out of the womb, grabbing at Esau's heel. So we find this striving at the very earliest moments of conception. And so so we find these, these two boys born into a household that there was some apparent dysfunctionality that was going on. And the reason I know that is in chapter 25, verse 28, listen to this. I ran across this just reading over the story again. It says, and Isaac, listen to this, Isaac loved Esau because. Now, if I just stop there, how many of you know we got a problem? Isaac, his dad, loved him because. He loved him because he ate of his game. In other words, Esau was a great hunter. Esau was probably the best hunter his dad ever saw. And as long as Esau kept putting the food on the table... Dad loved him. Are you seeing that? Isaac loved Esau because. Now, notice, Rachel, Rebecca, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm getting all my R's and my, my J's messed up. Rebecca just plain old loves Jacob. 
That's what the Bible says. Re- Rebecca loved Jacob. There was no condition, it says here, to her love. So there's a problem that's beginning to manifest in the earliest moments of Esau's life. And so long before we read the account of Esau selling his birthright or selling off his inheritance, we begin to see some things creep up right here in the scripture that shows me there's a little dysfunctionality that's going on between Isaac and his, and his son Esau. In fact, I believe that Esau had to perform for his love and his affirmation. I also believe that there came a moment when that fact produced such rejection in his life that he could no longer see straight or think straight when it came to his future or his family and especially his dad. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34, um, listen to this. It says that he literally, excuse me, 25, 34, 25, 34, it says that, that he literally, Esau literally despised his birthright. Now, what would that mean, despising his birthright? I, I just started to meditate and think about that, and I came to the conclusion that Esau didn't like the house he grew up in. He didn't like who he was. He didn't like his dad. He didn't like what he had to do in his house. He didn't like the fact that he had to perform to be accepted. In fact, the Bible tells us later on that he reacted to all of this. That's in chapter 26, verse 34, that Esau, instead of marrying within the covenant community of of the Jews, he decided he was going to marry foreign women with their foreign gods. You know what that meant in Bible times. You marry foreign women, you get their foreign ways and their foreign gods, and he became unequally yoked. And the Hebrew writer tells us that there was a root of bitterness in Esau that caused all of these issues. You see, we always focus in on somehow or another, he just got so hungry one day, he sold off his inheritance. You know, you think about that for just a minute. There had to be more going on, you know, besides I'm just hungry, smells good, I'm going to give up my future. No, there was something going on in Esau uh, much more profound and far deeper than just needing something to eat you see he was already developing a sense of bitterness mom loves uh jacob unconditionally jacob doesn't have to do anything as a matter of fact jacob's got a lot of character defects i mean he's a liar he's a usurper he's a manipulator i mean but mom just loves him but dad i have to perform to get his love There's a lot more going on in Esau long before he ever gets to the moment that Jacob, albeit unrighteously, seizes that inheritance or seizes that birthright. Bitterness was brewing in there long before it manifests in other ways. You see, bitterness, listen to me folks, bitterness makes you angry. When bitterness begins to go unaddressed in your life, it causes you not to think right. It causes you not to act right. I I mean, it's interesting. You begin to process things wrong. Esau's processing wrong here. He's he's ate up with all of these things that had brought him to this point. It's just just really a small thing. He's kind of hungry. He, He needs to be fed. But all of this comes to a head. It's never the one traumatic moment. It's always this one small, sneaky moment that can come to you. And he sells his future. He sells his future for some food. We think, I've been taught through the years, it was because it was his belly. He was hungry. It wasn't his hunger in his belly. It was the bitterness in his soul. 
He sold his future not because he was hungry, it was because of something far deeper. It was the refusal to deal with the bitterness, and that caused him to make a poor choice. People sell their futures all the time over stupid things. I mean, I have often asked myself, why would a, why would a man or a woman, for that matter, why would, why, would they, why would they be unfaithful in a relationship Why would they do that and jeopardize their whole future and their family and their children and all of those sorts of things by just one 15-minute, maybe pleasurable moment? I mean, why would they do that? There's got to be something deeper. A rational, thinking person just wouldn't do that. There's something far deeper and more insidious going on. And it can be any one of a number of things, but I'll guarantee you in Esau's life, it was because rejection and bitterness were at work inside of him. Esau, Esau later, he gets angry. If we went on and, and read here in chapter 27 of Genesis, later on, he gets with his dad, and now he's mad that his dad had already given the blessing. I, I look at that and I say to myself, Esau, get a clue. You're the one that decided to sell it. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give it up. You made the decision. I understand Jacob manipulated a moment. I get that. But you still made the decision. You still didn't have to get it up. Uh, you know, give it up. You still didn't have to succumb to that particular moment. You didn't have to do it, Esau. You made that choice. But here he is, faced with everything that he put into motion, and he's mad. It's his own fault, and he's mad. And he's mad at everyone around him, and he wants to murder his brother. And despite all of the deceptions and problems that Jacob has, truth is, Esau has no one to blame but himself. Now, this is going to be the toughest part we're all going to have to swallow real big. Your problem is not them. I know them's got problems. I know them are Jacob's and they're deceivers and manipulators. I understand. All of us can pick, we can pick the specks out of other people's lives incredibly. We're great at that. We can see all the defects in them. But them didn't get you to where you are. You made the decision to get to where you are today. Just like I did. Nobody, nobody put me here today. All the decisions that were made were my decisions that that God provided before me and I made choices and I made those decisions and Esau made some decisions and he loses it all. He loses his inheritance. He loses his future and the reason he loses it isn't because of Jacob, it isn't because of Esau, it isn't because of Rebekah, it is because of the bitterness that was inside of him that he didn't get out. And he just couldn't think straight and see straight and make quality decisions. And the ultimate outcome, listen to me, of bitterness is that it will lead you down a road that will cause you to lose your future. Bitterness will cause you to lose your destiny. Bitterness will cause you to lose your inheritance. I understand why you keep it. We've already talked about that. Because you've been wronged. I got it. We've all been done wrong too. And we're justified in keeping our feelings. I am so justified in feeling the way I do because I've been done wrong. All right? We all agree. But the problem is you holding on to the bitterness is keeping you out of your future and keeping you out of your destiny. Esau couldn't have changed Jacob. His mom and his dad couldn't change Jacob. 
Esau couldn't change his mom and his dad. He couldn't change the way life shook out. The only thing he could change was his bitter. You can change that. Now, I want to read you a passage here. I ran across this this week, and this just kind of blew me away. In Deuteronomy 29, you know, you got to read some of these Old Testament books because they have some verses in here that will just flat get you. Deuteronomy 29, listen to this, verse 14. Deuteronomy 29, 14. Listen to what the Lord says. i got to hurry. The Lord says, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone. Now, he's talking about, you know, the people are going into the land. This is really the second shot at it. And they've received the, the commandments again the second time. And he's beginning to put into motion. The Lord's putting into motion his covenantal promises. And he's also beginning to put into motion the covenantal curses, which take place if we're disobedient. So he's, he's talking about these promises I will give you and these curses will come upon you. And then he begins to make some final remarks here in Deuteronomy 29. He says, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. Now what the Lord is saying is this. He's saying, I'm not only creating a covenant with you, but I am going to cause this covenant to exist through your lineage. All right? Verse 16, for you know that we dwelled in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. And you saw, verse 17, their abominations and their idols which were among them wood, stone, silver, and gold. He said, when I brought you through, I'd let you look at all the false gods and all the idols. You saw them all with your very own eyes. I wanted you to see all that stuff. I wanted you to to understand what it was you were leaving. He said in verse 18, so that there may not be among you man or woman, family or tribe, whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. He says, so just so you're not snagged, I'm going to show you who not to serve. And that there may not be among you, listen to this, a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. When wormwood was a tree, actually, that was a, a bitter tree, a bitter bark. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Now what's he saying? What he's he's saying is this. He's he's saying, I'm taking you and I'm showing you all of this around you in order that you might understand not only that you might not go and serve these, but that you won't have the ability, the Lord says, to stand before me and say, everything's okay, despite the fact it's not. He said, if you stand before me and say, oh yeah, I'm okay, I'm cool with everything God's doing in my life, everything's fine, I know I've had some injustice, but I'm over it, it's done, it's not there anymore, and, and you may say that with your mouth, but inside, bitter still exists. He said is it, it is exactly the same as the drunkard who says he wants to cast his lot with the sober. It's, it's the drunkard who's standing in the midst of everybody practicing sobriety and saying, hey, I'm okay. Hey, I'm not drunk. I'm just happy. It's the same as the person who says, I'm okay, but they're just bitter. I know, I know, because you're saying you're, 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 you're telling me that to be bitter is like being drunk. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Your bitterness is cutting off the things of God just as sure as your drunk is. Your bitter is cutting you off from the things of God just as sure as your fornication is. Your bitter is cutting you off from the things of God just as sure as your addiction is. 
See, we've got to get to an understanding that, that, that bitter is not something God's going to dwell in. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God isn't going to dwell in my bitter. We have bitter people by the thousands in our churches who are smiling and they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm okay, I have peace, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm fine, I'm over it. And, and, and they keep coming and they ignore their bitter just like the alcoholic who ignores his rehab. And I want you to get this, we keep that bitterness thinking as we fake everyone else out that somehow we're faking God out and the bitterness causes us to lose our inheritance as quickly as the drunkenness and the adultery, the fornication and the idolatry and all the other egregious sins we could throw out there. It causes us to shut the heavens down when bitterness is in our heart. So here's the question, how do I not do this? I, 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 I don't want my future shut down. I don't want my inheritance taken away from me. I, I, don't want, I, I want to enjoy God's goodness while I live here on earth. How do I not lose this inheritance? Write this down. I'm telling you, you better write it down. This, again, this is refrigerator stuff. Get the magnets out of the drawer. Get ready to write it down and put it on your refrigerator door. How do I stop doing this? Number one, you got to stop excusing or rationalizing your bitterness away. We just, we got to get honest, man, about what's inside of us. You know, we've heard a lot, I have, about bitter old women. She's just a bitter old woman. I'm just going to share this with you. I've met a lot of bitter old guys. I mean, I've met men that are just plain bitter. Men get away with it because, at times, we look more controlled. Truth of the matter is, we manifest our bitter in anger. Women manifest their bitter in other ways. But I can guarantee you, men who deal with anger are men who are dealing with bitter. Have you ever just seen this? I'm just making an observation. I'm not making any judgment. I can just make an observation. I, I've, watched, I've watched, you know, the high rollers and the big bucks people in the world. And have you ever looked at the face of Donald Trump? Have you just looked when he's just standing there? He's just got this perpetual scowl on his face. Am I, am I lying? I mean, it looks like, it look, I mean, it, it, it's shaped that way. Now, he may be rich, and his money may make people suck up to him. In fact, I've often said I don't believe any of those supermodels would give him a, the time of day if it weren't for the fact he had a billion in the bank. That's my personal opinion. I forgot, this is going on iTunes, isn't it? All right. But, you know, you can die with a billion dollars and still die without your promise. Do you know that in one of his books, he has a chapter that's entitled Getting Even? getting even well you can but that doesn't mean that you're okay inside so we've got to stop excusing or rationally rationalizing our bitterness away number two you've got to pinpoint the actions that have hurt you sometimes when we manifest our emotions in this area it is not the event as i mentioned earlier it's not the event that really is the action that is hurting us but 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 in fact the event that takes place becomes the straw that finally tips over the other things that were latent inside of you. You've got to begin to get to the root. You will never weed out bitterness unless you begin to do a little introspection and dig around to the root of that and begin to weed it out. You need to evaluate your childhood. Evaluate your school years. 
Begin to uh, let the Holy Spirit help you begin to uncover areas that you just pushed away and you become so good at suppression that you just pushed it away. Let him, he's not bringing it up to torment you, he's bringing it up so you can forgive and let it go. Number three, you got to confess your bitterness as sin. I've already said you're no more justified in keeping your bitterness than you're justified in having an affair. You're no more justified in your grudge than you're justified in shooting the teacher that failed you at math. Is that picture graphic enough? Your bitterness inside of you is sin. It is sin that, according to Ephesians 4.30, grieves the presence of God away. Once you see that bitterness is sin... Listen to me, this is the good news. Once it becomes sin, then the cross can deal with it. Our problem is the reason it never works and we never get over it and it doesn't seem we can get through it is because we don't acknowledge it as sin. We just acknowledge it as a bad attitude or a mistake or I really ought not feel that way. And therefore, there's no power that can be applied to it to set you free. The cross cleanses sin. If you say, my bitterness is sin before you, O God, then the cross can begin to do its work on that bitterness to set you free. Are you with me? But if you don't look and say it's sin, that cross is going to do you no good. It's the same way a drunk comes up and just says, well, you know, I, just, I have a moderation problem. Well, it's just a little self-control issue I just need to get a hold of. See, unless you call it sin, that isn't going to work. Are you with me? just with me you know I've listened to people justify make excuses for all kinds of sin they just they, it's a mistake it's just it's just a peccadillo it's a it's just this little thing it's not that big a deal I can get a hold of it if you would just come up straight and say it's sin then God says praise myself I can I can get the cross in that he probably doesn't do that that's just that was just probably thus saith Kevin right there you know, right after the children of Israel got through, you know, the Red Sea incident, you remember they were at Merah and the waters, it says, were bitter at Merah. And God told Moses to cut down this tree and drop it into the waters. And when the tree dropped into the bitter waters, it caused them to be sweet again. Do you understand that when the cross drops into your spirit, it can cause you to be sweet again? See, right now, some of you got waters flowing out of you. And they're bitter waters. And they're just flowing. Bitter waters are flowing out of you. And, 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 it, and everywhere it touches, just like the Hebrew writer said, it defiles. There's no fruit to it. Nothing is produced out of it. But the good news is, is that if the tree, the cross, falls into that stream, man, it can turn you sweet again. you got to renounce your bitter, just like you'd renounce your drunk or renounce your affair or You'd renounce your gossip or whatever it is you've got to renounce. Renounce it. Number four, begin to imagine life as it would be, as it could be without the grudge. I'm a believer in this. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's something we have to do. We have to get a vision. You've got to get a vision of your future grudge-free. Are you with me? You've got to begin to see yourself living life unbitter without a grudge you got to begin to envision happy you've got to envision whole you've got to envision functional 
You've got to begin to see yourself that way. I got it. I know right now it's hard for you to do that. But unless you begin to see it, you'll never seize it. Some of you can't imagine a different day, and that's a part of your problem. You've got to get it in your spirit that that's possible. You've got to get it in your spirit again that God didn't design you to live like you're living at this moment. He called you to something better and greater, and he can do it, but he just isn't going to get you there just because he's just looking at a pitiful person. He wants to see faith at work. He doesn't move because of your pity. He moves because of your faith. And he sees faith and he can begin to manifest it. You've got to begin to imagine life that way. Number five, you've got to replace angry thoughts about their badness. Now I'm talking about that person who just done you wrong. They just, they done me wrong. They are bad. No, you said worse than that, I know. But you've got to replace that with words of blessing. Now, this is hard. 1 Peter 3, 9, listen to this. It says, well, if I go up to verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers, be tenderhearted, courteous, not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you might, what? 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 Do you understand that, that last, the, the, you, we're cutting ourselves off. We're not justifying them. Go listen to the last two messages again. I'm not, I'm not justifying what they did. Let, let God deal with them. I'm talking about you cutting off an inheritance. You may not feel like blessing, but your inheritance is at stake. You see, obedience is never conditioned upon how I feel about it. I'm not called to do something when I feel like it. I am called to obey all the time, whether I feel like it or not. I'm still to be obedient. And sometimes you've got to rise up above your feeling, and you've got to rise up above whatever it is inside of you, and you've just got to obey, not because you feel like, and that's our problem. We feel, we feel like we're obedient. We feel like we're faithful. We feel, that has nothing to, your feelings have zero to do with it. That's our problem in our current society. We feel like we love. We feel this. We feel, we feel, we feel. Those feelings are a roller coaster ride up and down and all around. God doesn't say do this when you feel like it. He says obey me. And if you'll obey me, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, then will I bless you. It didn't say if you feel a certain way, obey. Number six, spend time praying about compassion. I'm going to move through this very quickly now. Jesus said things like, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give to him who wants to borrow, give, give your cloak also. I mean, that is in the Bible. Compassion is not just food, clothing, and, and drink, it is an attitude, it is a perspective on life as well. These things have to be prayed into existence in your life. You just don't get compassionate one day. I mean, there are some mercy-motivated people that probably function in this way better than I do. But you've got to pray about compassion. You live around people that burn you, use you, say one thing, do another. I mean, you do this for 30 years. You can get pretty jaded. Say, well, what do you do, Pastor? You've got to pray for compassion. Give me compassion, Lord. You've got to spend time praying about that. Lest bitter come into your heart. Number seven. 
You've got to understand and empathize with their history without condoning their actions. You've often heard it said, I believe Trace is the one that's probably famous for it, who says, hurt people, hurt people. I'll acknowledge that there's just some plain evil people out there. But most people are just hurt or they're messed up and you happen to be in their way one day. You need to see hurt in people. If you can see hurt in people, it can give you some perspective. Jesus, interestingly, had to become one of us and he had to identify with us before he died and forgave us. I was just reading the other day on the internet, I, I, I read several blogs and one of the guys wrote a story that I thought was interesting and I, I thought it was a good illustration. He, he told of a story of an older man who was walking across the street and he was shuffling across the street. And he was about ready to get up on the, the curb as he had crossed the street. And he tripped. He didn't get his leg up quite high enough to get over the curb. And he tripped and he fell over there on the sidewalk. And obviously he was embarrassed. And, and he was probably a little bit hurt being an older gentleman. And he struggled to get up. And at the time, nobody was there when he fell. But then, of course, as he was getting up and kind of dusting himself off, obviously he's a little disoriented. He's, he's a little bit shaken because of what just took place people begin to come down the sidewalk and they never saw the fall they never saw what took place they're just watching him kind of disheveled and disoriented they didn't see the fall but they did they just see him kind of getting himself trying to get himself together and and so several of them stop and ask if they could help him and he just curtly says no no I don't need any help and and, and as they're trying to help him get along his way he he just he doesn't want to be helped he doesn't want to be touched he he's He's obviously internally embarrassed and, and here are people trying to help him and he's offending the very people who are trying to help him. Now, did he have the right to offend these people who didn't know what was going on just trying to help this disoriented, disheveled old man? Of course not. But the problem was he was embarrassed. He was proud. He was disoriented inside all of these things. That's not an excuse for how he behaved. But do you understand all of us walk into people in life who have fallen down and they're getting up and they're trying to do what they can do to get themselves right and along we come just trying to help and they just look at us and offend us away. And the whole time we go, well, pfft. see if I help you again. I don't even understand. I'm just trying to do something nice. And that's how you treat me. And we don't get the fact that they'd already tripped and they'd fallen. You may not see that fall, but odds are somewhere along the way, they fell over and they're hurt and they're wounded. And I know it's hard. There are some people so crazily dysfunctional, we say to ourselves, ain't no way. Listen, you just got to get before the Lord and get his heart in your heart. And you got to get a different set of eyes that can somehow see them in the pain that they exist with every day. We may, we may want to help a lot of people. And they may not want our help, but, but if they're offending us away, just, just try to get the eyes of God. Understand their history without condoning their actions. Number eight, you've got to make the commitment not to pass on your grudge. We always feel better, don't we, if we can gather a crowd to validate our, our grudge. I want to get as many people together as I can get to validate my grudge. Do you know why the Jews and the Arabs have fussed with each other for 4,000 plus years now? It's because they, they get their whole communities validated in their grudges that have existed for years, thousands of years. They just keep passing on 
the grudge. They're like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They start shooting at each other and they don't even know why. They're just grudge passers. The South, I've said this before, the South is full of bitterness. I think, I don't know that after the Civil War we were ever quite healed from the bitterness that took place through that over a hundred years ago. There's such bitterness in the South. There's bitterness in white people. There's bitterness in black people. There's bitterness in the South towards the North. You know what we call Yankees. I can't say it here because someone will write me an email. But you all know what we call them. We have all this bitterness that exists. And the problem is for, for literally decades it cut the South off from their inheritance. We're not doing our children and we're not doing other people any favors by linking them to our grudges. We are All we're doing to them is causing them to cut off their inheritances. Number nine, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to guard your mind to not pick that thing up again. Holy Spirit, guard my mind. Help me not to pick that up. Now, it's, I'm just telling you, this is daily, 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 daily. Lord, today, I'm not worried about the next ten years. Today, help me. Not pick this thing up again. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me follow through on my forgiveness. Help me follow through on my blessing. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. And number 10, remind yourself continually that your inheritance, that your future is at stake. Is a grudge, is a grudge really worth your healing? Is, is a grudge really worth your deliverance? Is a grudge worth the financial blessing that God may have for you? Is a grudge worth your peace? Is a grudge worth your joy? I mean, I mean if, the, if that grudge is so important to you, make sure you define it right. You're saying that bitterness inside of you is worth more than all the inheritance. God has laid up for you as one of his children. This week we were sitting at our desks and Trace was reading through her book for her connect group, and she read me a passage concerning uh, Simon, who's known as Simon the Sorcerer in the scripture, in Acts chapter 8, and I, I'm just going to make a remark here, and then I'm done. In Acts chapter 8, I'm not going to read all of this, but beginning in verse 9, there's this man by the name of Simon, who it says in his previous days practiced sorcery, and uh, apparently he had great powers of sorcery. And it says that all the city gave him heed. In fact, they, they confused his power actually with the power of God. And uh, in verse 12, it says that when Philip came along, Philip came in preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. And it says both men and women were baptized. And in verse 13, it says Simon himself also believed. And it says he was baptized. That's good news, isn't it? A sorcerer gets born again. So he believes and he's baptized. And he walks with Philip. And as he's walking with Philip, he's just amazed at what Philip can do. He sees the miracles. He sees the signs. He sees these things that are taking place. And so now the apostles in verse 14 who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word. They send Peter and John to them. And so Peter and John show up. And so they're praying for these new believers that they might receive the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Because the Spirit of God hadn't been poured out in his fullness yet upon them they'd been baptized they believed but now they were getting you know kind of that second dose 
And it says in verse 17 that they laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit showed up. In verse 18, it says Simon sees all of this. He sees these apostles coming and laying hands, and the Holy Spirit was given. And I don't know what happened at this point, but apparently it was even greater than what took place through Philip and all the signs and miracles that he was doing. I mean, Simon was just bebopping it along, just kind of amazed. But now the apostles show up, and it's like he's going, whoa! I mean, this is in a league, a different league. And then it says in verse 18 that he offers them money, saying, give me this power also. He wants to be able to do that. Give me, he says, give me this power, and he offers them money. Now, I know that Peter would later say that he's trying to buy, he's trying to buy the gift of God. That's what Peter later identifies that as. But I want you to know that as Luke's watching this, Luke's writing it down, he says he just sees an offering. He sees, he sees Simon offering money. And then Peter, after he goes through all of this and he says, this isn't how it works, I'm going to tell you what's, what's really wrong. He says, your heart's not right in verse 21. He says, I want you to repent of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. Now, when we say wickedness here, we automatically assume, or at least I would have, that somehow it was wicked for him to have offered money. Now, Peter assumes he's trying to purchase something. That's what the Bible says. Luke writes it down and he says he was offering some money. But Peter looks at him and he says there's wickedness in your heart. And this wickedness, listen now, this wickedness is that you are poisoned, in verse 23, by bitterness... And you are bound by iniquity. Peter says your heart's not right with God. It's poisoned by bitterness. Now, this is just a thought. And we're, we're closing right now. You and I live in a day where we have access to all sorts of Christian teaching, instruction. Whether it's by DVD, CD, on the television set. You can come to a local church. You can hear Christian instruction just... I mean hundreds of different ways. And, and a lot of that, it's interesting because a lot of that instruction comes with solicitation. The solicitation is, come on, give an offering or so. Now, now hear me very, very carefully what I'm about to say. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm in the middle of clearing some land and building a building. So you're going to hear about the offering from me. And I don't apologize for it. Because it takes money to make things work even on the earth and in the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about it. Having said that, that there is an appropriate place for the solicitation of giving and offering. I, I'm just throwing this out here. I believe there are times, because we've just been inundated with it, that people sow and they give and, the, and they offer their finances and they do everything they know to do that is right. And, and they do all of these things. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work for them. Nothing happens. And there is such frustration. In, in fact, if we dug down into people's hearts, I oftentimes wonder at times if, if we're trying to, to buy our way into God doing something. I wonder if somehow or another we're trying to do this transaction with the Almighty in order to somehow get him into our situation. And, and, and we can't obviously uncover everyone's heart in this regard. But this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me. 
I felt like the Holy Spirit said, if the people of God would get free from their bitterness, and if the people of God would get free from their grudges, that all of the blessings that were coming to them through their offerings and through their sacrifices and through their giving would be so released that it would boggle their minds. See, I'm just here to tell you, God's not looking for your next buck. He's looking for you to cast your bitterness upon the cross and all the tithe that you've given through the years obediently that you've said, I don't understand why I do it, I just do it, and it doesn't seem like anything ever happens. Ain't no window ever opened for me. No devourer ever got rebuked for me. The curse doesn't seem to be taken off my land for me. I'm just telling you that all that obedient tithe that you've given through the years, all that, that seed that you sent in, you know, the $1,000 seed that you sent in, and you did it genuinely, and you did it because you believe God taught that in his word, and, and you didn't do anything wrong. Hear me what I'm saying. You didn't do anything wrong. The reason some stuff ain't working is because bitterness has locked down the windows. It has grieved God. It has pushed possibility away. It has stopped the future. I'm looking at some of you right now. Your next raise is conditioned upon you getting rid of some bitterness. I'm telling some of you right now that your next open door is conditioned upon you getting rid of some bitterness. Some of you have so many backed up blessings right now that if you threw your grudge on the cross and you just let it go, God would open up a window and you would not only, as Deuteronomy 28 says, have the blessing come upon you, but it would overtake you. We've, I never got to the overtaking blessing, have you? I've had a few come on me. But I don't know that I can say I've lived in the overtaking blessing. You get rid of some grudges, you watch the heavens open. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You aren't going to get the Holy Ghost in your situation because you ante up your next buck. And I understand there will be people that will take what I say and say, well, see, I don't have to give. I don't have to tithe. I don't have to. Then you're just dumb. Because that isn't what I said. You got to be faithful and obedient and responsive. Our problem isn't that we aren't generous, isn't that we haven't given. Our problem is we've kept our bitterness and has cut God off. You don't, I'm not taking another offering, by the way, today either. Can you say amen to that? I'm not looking for your money. God's not looking for your money. He says, I want you to get rid of your bitterness and watch the blessing. You could empty your bank accounts dry and put it into the kingdom and it won't send one blessing until you get rid of that grudge. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you understand how a church moves into its future? Do you understand how you move into its future? Do you understand your destiny and your inheritance is linked to that sneaky feeling that you just don't want to give up? But that sneaky feeling, if you let it go, would be like the crack in the dike that would, that would open up a well of blessing that you can't even imagine and fathom. It's not another dollar. It's your bitter. Isn't that, the, isn't that, a, isn't that, isn't that paradoxical? God isn't looking, he isn't looking for another buck from you. He's just looking for your bitter. Give me your bitter. You want the Holy Ghost in your situation? Give me your bitter. You want God to move in power in your life? Give me your bitter. 
You want the Lord to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think? Then come on, give me your bitter. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And once you let it go, you just watch. I, I'm just telling you. Tracy tells the story in Encounter. She got rid of some bitter. We couldn't sell a house for 14 months. 18 months. Listen to this. Listen to this. She remembers it. She re- 18 months. Couldn't get rid of it for 18 months. God showed her about some bitter. She got rid of the bitter. And then we raised the price on the house. And we had two people fight over it. In four days. Are you seeing what I'm saying? God isn't looking for another buck from you. He's looking to, for your bitter. I'm just telling you, if, if we got a hold of this church-wide, God would do something in us that would be absolutely mind-boggling. I, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? God says today, Jesus says, you give me your bitter, and I'll give you my blessing. Why would you want, not want that deal? But you'll be amazed. There'll be people who'll say, nah, I'm keeping my bitter. Because I'm right. I'm justified. I'm not letting it go. Your choice. I know what I'm choosing. Stand with me, will you? Hey, no music, nothing. You ready to give up bitter? If you're ready to give up your bitter for a blessing, come on, just give it up right now. Give up your bitter for a blessing right now. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we preached on forgiveness for three weeks in a row, and it just it boggles my mind how people struggle with that. So, I'm giving up my bitter for a blessing. I don't want to. I don't want to cut off my future. I don't want to lose my inheritance. I got to give it up. I'm going to give it up. I I want God to open up the windows over my life again. I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to. To be involved in my life again. And, it's not, and, and you've done a lot of good and right things. Hear me now. I'm looking at people right now. You're standing down front. And I can tell you, you've probably done a thousand right things. And, and you would say, rationally, if I've done a thousand right things, doesn't that count for something? No. Obedience counts for something. And, and the Lord's just saying, this, this is the key to opening up. This is it right now. Hallelujah. Guys, you can begin to play that quiet times real quietly behind me. Here's what we're going to do, though, in these next few moments. I'm going to do this quickly. This doesn't take long. You don't have to travail over letting something go. You don't don't have to agonize over letting something go. Right now, you make a choice right now and say, Lord, I acknowledge this morning that my bitterness is sin. It is sin. It is as much sin as the the bum who's addicted to cocaine. It's as much sin as the one who jumps from bed to bed to bed. It's as much sin as the most despicable, egregious thing I could ever imagine. This, This bitterness in me is sin. And Lord, it's not about them. I can do nothing about them. But this morning, Lord, you're talking to me. And I choose. I want everyone in the house to say, I'm choosing, I'm choosing to let it go. I release it. Lord, let your cross 
fall into my waters and cause my spirit to be sweet again. I renounce the bitter. I let it go. <laughs> Lord, just as you've forgiven me, I forgive them. Now listen to me, you're not condoning what they did. What they did probably was wrong. Nobody's saying they're being justified. All we're saying is, is that you've got to position yourself for a brighter future. Say this, Lord, I want the fullness of my inheritance. I'm sorry. I change my mind and I change my actions with regards to that grudge. I lay it upon the cross. I cast it upon Jesus as I would any sin. And I receive from him the fullness of righteousness and all the promise that's available there. Let the yes and the amen come back into my heart. Ignite my future in my spirit. Help me to see what could be in you. Help me to envision a future full of peace, full of joy, full of hope, full of provision. Because the windows of heaven are opening this morning over my life thank you lord for doing this work in jesus name now i'm just going to pray right now for all of those that are gathered down here i'm just going to pray for you right now listen you gotta you gotta do what you're doing right now you probably need to do it for the next seven days every morning get up and say i choose to let go of that grudge i choose to let it go i am no longer going to let my future be stolen I, I, it just—it was revelation to me when I got a hold of the fact that that there are that there are finances and 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 there are opportunities and and there is provision that's right now right now it was held up in the heavens, but that right now because you let go of a grudge is being released. Some of you have tithed for years and you've never seen if you could you didn't say it because you just didn't want to dishonor God. But people have tithed for years and never saw any great, wonderful, mighty thing. They've done it, but they've done it because they've been obedient and they haven't understood why it doesn't work for me. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, it was that bitterness that was stopping up the windows and it's being removed right now. There is such, such backup that's being released upon you. You've got to believe it's coming right now. Come on, if you knew it was coming, you'd get up the next seven days in a row and do something. If you knew that Publisher's Clearinghouse was going to come a week from today, if you did a 10-minute dance in your house, you'd dance your fool head off. Come on now, you've got to begin to put into motion. I choose to let it go. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. My future in God is not worth that silly grudge. It's just not worth it. Hallelujah. So, Lord, I pray right now for the folks that have gathered here. Lord, you're doing something in these people. Lord, I pray right now you'd be true to your word. 
that you'd be true to your servant even as I've shared it. Lord, that you would begin starting this afternoon, tomorrow, all through this week, that you'd begin to distinguish your hand in their life by showing them the trickles of blessing that are going to turn into a, a torrent of, 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 of mighty rushing water their direction. Lord, let them begin to see so they may continue to believe that by letting go of grudges and forgiving, forgiving, Lord, that you can do things beyond our wildest expectation. I pray right now, right now, in Jesus' name, there have been deals that have been hung up. I just prophesied to Shan, there have been deals that have been hung up. In fact, I just, I heard the Lord say, there was a deal that somehow something got stolen. It wasn't right. It wasn't handled righteously. It, it, there was something taken away that should have come your direction, and it wasn't taken away. It wasn't, it wasn't handled appropriately and rightly. And, 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 and it, just, it just wasn't right. It was wrong. And it's caused maybe even a grievance. The Lord's saying right now, as you let that thing go, God says right now, watch me as I restore in multiplied ways what I'm going to do in that situation. God's going God's to God's do something to, to restore those monies, to restore that. Hallelujah. There was a future, Hayward. There's a future. The Lord just said to me right now, there was a, there was a dream and there was a future. And, and it's not that God hadn't been good and, and things aren't delightful in your life. But there was a future that somehow got stolen and snagged and, and it's caused just even an offense. Lord says right now, son, as you let it go, that I'll bring, I'll bring a new future to you that would have been better than the one you thought you saw. Hear me now. God's going to do that. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Hallelujah. 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 Let it go. 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 Come on. It, it just, just let it fly. Let it fly. You, you, you think you can let it go when you see them get punished. Don't let it go just because you see some punishment. Come on, think about that for just a minute. Just let it go. Just let it go right now. Can I just say the greatest punishment in the world is when God turns and he blesses you abundantly because you just have the capacity to say, I'm not keeping it anymore. Lord, I pray for these people right now. Lord, even as the word of the Lord was stirred this morning, let each one hear with their ears right now. Lord, that right now as they let go, their future, their inheritance, their promise, whatever it was that got, got held up, hemmed up, stolen, Lord, right now let them hear your word that says, I'm going to release. As you've released, so shall I now release. As you let go of the trash, think about that. You're letting go of that ugly, stupid stuff. You let it go. God says, I'm letting go of all this good, incredible, helpful stuff don't lose your inheritance don't lose it lord let it be established now in these sweet people lord i believe there's just going to be a whole change of disposition a whole change of perspective a whole change of attitude is going to begin to take place right now in these people lord as they've made these choices right now before i let you go one more time i want you to commit before god if you have to, the next seven days, you'll bounce out of bed and just say, Lord, today I choose to forgive. I just, I'm choosing again. And you, you say, well, what if I don't feel like I need to? Let me tell you, just do it anyway. Just get used to 
letting your feelings aside, lay them aside. And just say, Lord, I'm choosing right now. I'm choosing right now to let it go, to let it go. Amen. Thank you, Lord, right now. I'm envisioning the heavens opening. Can you envision that with me, folks? Begin to see the heavens opening. Begin begin to see. Begin to see the land, the destinies being restored. Begin to see right now that, that that the frustration is being loosed off you. Begin to see it. It will will begin to manifest. It really will. Lord, establish it now. Don't let anything stop these dear people from going forward from where they are at this moment. Lord, let the rest of this day be an altar as unto you as they forgive and and loose it. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, and as, 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 you're, as you're beginning to move, you, just, you need to hug some necks. Before you go, you, you say, I'm not a hugger. Well, just hug a neck or two.